I know I have shared this little story of advice before, but it's been a long time, but it's so fitting I had to run it back. Have you, maybe you've heard this, have you heard the old woodsman's advice about how to catch a porcupine? Have you heard that? You know, if, if you see a porcupine on the ground, they're not very fast. Right? So what you do is you just run up behind it and you drop a big wash tub down on top of the porcupine. And the wash tub will give you something to sit on while you ponder your next move. You know, life is full of situations a little bit like that. How many times have you found yourself in a situation where you know what you need to do, you know what needs to be done, you know what you ought to do, you're just not quite sure how to grab that there porcupine. Like you might, in your finances right now, you might be thinking, we need to either increase our income or decrease our expenses. Like I know that, just not really sure how to go about doing it. Or you might know, you know, what I need to do is I need to make healthy meals everyone in my family will enjoy. Like I know that's what I need to do. I am just kind of at a loss in how to get there. Life is full of situations where we're sitting right on top of what we know we ought to do. We're just not sure how to do it. Well, last week, the Apostle Paul, the beginning of Romans chapter 1, he told us in the simplest of terms what we all are supposed to do as Christians. Today, Paul's going to tell us how to do it in the simplest of terms. Since the beginning of this year, we've been studying the book of Romans. And for 11 chapters, Romans 1 through 11, we studied what's basically the theology section of the book of Romans. 11 chapters of the belief system of Christianity. If you're a Christian, Romans 1 through 11 tells you what you believe. It's what I believe about me and my lostness. It's what I believe about Jesus and his act of saving me at the cross. It's what I believe about the hope I have before God now that I've been justified by my faith in Christ and his cross. And it's how I can depend on God to be faithful, to see that hope through to the end. That's 11 chapters about the belief system of Christianity. And last week we began the practical section where the rubber meets the road, what Christianity looks like in the life of a Christian. We, we began that last week. And even though it may be a, an oversimplification, in a very real way, Paul told us everything we will ever need to do as a Christian in one verse last week. If you weren't here last week, if you, if you missed that sermon, I would invite you to go to our Facebook page, um, go to our website uh, and find our, our, the, the audio SoundCloud page. It's a very important verse and a very important sermon over that verse because it is the whole of Christian life application. 
And today, Paul's going to tell us how to do what he told us to do last week. So what did he, what did Paul tell us to do last week? So Romans 12, 1 says this, Therefore, so based on everything I've told you in those 11 chapters, I challenge you, I exhort you, Christians, people who are already Christians, we're Christians by the mercies of God, not because we're good enough for God to like us, but we've accepted His mercy that comes through Christ. Based on all of that, here's what you need to do. Present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. That's what Paul told us to do. Present your very body as a sacrifice to God. This life is not my own anymore. You bought it. You made me acceptable, holy, and pleasing through what you did at my faith in Christ. So now I want to give this life back to you. Why would anyone want to do that? Paul said, well, it's only reasonable. It is my reasonable worship service. My worship to God is not what I do in here. My worship to God is what I do out there all day, every day. Now, why would I want my whole life to be an act of worship to God? Paul says it's just it's reasonable. It's logical. If God is who he claims to be, if, if God is the one that can take this nightmare of the, of the world and all the pain and things, I can't understand why a good God would allow it to happen. And he can make all of that work together for good then he is a better steward of my life than I am. So it's only reasonable that I would give my life to him. Does that make sense? That was last week's sermon. Do you want to be that? Do you want your life to be a sacrifice to God, living, uh, alive, holy, and pleasing to God? Do you want that? Well, how in the world are we supposed to get at that porcupine? That's today's passage. That is the porcupine we find ourselves sitting on this morning. And Paul's going to tell us how to do that in the simplest of terms. He's going to be telling us what it looks like through halfway through chapter 15. Today, Paul's going to give us a negative command and a positive command. What I mean by that is, Paul's going to say, do you want to be that? Do you want to be a living sacrifice? Then don't do this. Because you can't be a living sacrifice if you do this. So don't do that. Then he's going to say, if you want to be a living sacrifice, then do this. Here's a positive command. Because you can't be a living sacrifice unless you do this. And then he's going to tell us like the results. If we avoid the negative command and we do the positive command. And that's going to help us be a living sacrifice. Let's read our passage this morning. It won't take long. It's printed in the little box on the front of your bulletin, although it's mislabeled as the wrong verse. But Romans 12, 2. In fact, I'll back up and just read 12, 1 and 12, 2. So Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable 
service or worship. In today's verse, do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and prove what is the will of God, what is good and what is well-pleasing and what is perfect. There's our passage. That is the how-to. Let's dive in. We'll start with the negative command. Do not be conformed to this. And then Paul says, this translation says, to this world. Your Bible might say to this age or this present world. Uh, Ion um, is, the, is the Greek word here. It means, it's a word for a long period of time. Um, so it does mean do not be conformed to this age. But for the New Testament writers, that's a little different than the way we use that. Like, we would say Paul wrote ages ago, right? We would say, like, the first century, that was ages ago. But according to uh, the way the New Testament writers use this word, it wasn't ages ago. We're still in the same age that Paul was in when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. The New Te- for the New Testament writers, the rest of eternity from the cross of Christ for all of eternity is just two ages. This present evil age and the age to come. And so Paul says, don't let this present evil age shape you into its mold. The age to come is when God's going to fix everything that's wrong with the world. That's the age to come. He's going to wipe every tear from every eye, all that stuff. And and he's going to encourage us to live with our eyes set on the age to come. But we've still got to live in this one. And so he starts by saying, you want to be a living sacrifice? Don't be shaped into the mold of this present evil age. Don't always try to walk in harmony, arm in arm with this world. There's constant pressure for the Christian to conform to the world. It doesn't matter how old we get. It doesn't matter where we're at. That pressure is always there. And so Paul wants us to know we can't do the most logical thing for the Christian to do, which is to give my life to God, we can't do that and be conformed to the world at the same time. The command here is don't be worldly. But pay attention to why. It's not Paul, it's not Paul saying. I'm going to give you a list of a bunch of things you better not do. And if you do any of those things, you are going to hell. That's why. No. The reason why we don't want to do any of these things is because we're trying to make our lives a living sacrifice given to God. And we can't give our lives to God while we're doing these things that look like the world. You want to be a living sacrifice then do not be conformed to this world, to this age. Not being conformed to this age, to this world, is not the same thing as 
not being involved in this world or this age. That's not true. Paul was involved. It also doesn't mean everything uh, that we just have to be weird or bizarre. Like Paul, um, in one place that I, I ch- basically, Paul said, I tend to change some of the things I do based on where I live. So I can be sort of relevant to the people I'm trying to talk to. Paul would change the things he ate, the things he drank. He would change whether or not he took uh, money for his job as an apostle because he wanted to remove anything that would be a barrier to the gospel. But that was Paul's calling. He wanted to have an impact on the world for the gospel. He wasn't shaped by the world. He was shaped by the gospel. And then his decision-making was, all right, what's the best way to take this gospel to this part of this age? So first, to summarize this point, Paul just says, don't let, don't let this present sin-dominated, death-producing realm squeeze you into its mold. And that pressure is always there. And it's so tricky. It's so tricky. Because the world, this age, like comes in different shapes and sizes. Sometimes I can think, I'm not being conformed to the world because I'm different than that part of the world. I always found this interesting when I was teaching. And if you look back over, high high school teachers have been seeing this for as long as there's been high schools. There's always a segment of kid that I'm not going to be like everyone else. I'm going to be different. And so they become different in a way where they're exactly like a different set of kids who don't want to be like the rest of the world, right? If you're old enough, they might, it might be beatniks, if you know what a beatnik was, right? We're all going to be different in exactly the same way. Then it was hippies. We're all going to be different in exactly the same way, right? Then, my, like when I was teaching, it was like uh, goth, right? We're all going to wear lots of black, very long, dark eyeshadow. We're all, because we're different, We're just different exactly like the rest of our friends. Right? Um, We can be conformed to the world even if we're different from some people that are the bad guys. This is tricky. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Instead, the positive command. Instead, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember the goal. What I want to be is a living sacrifice. So don't be like the world. Be transformed. I have to remember the goal is the living sacrifice. Because again, just because I'm different than the rest of the world doesn't mean I'm doing verse 2. Doesn't mean I'm giving my whole life over to God. So Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word is translated transformed. I'll read this one to you in Greek. It is metamorphuste. What's that sound like? Sounds like metamorphosis, doesn't it? Um, 
That's where we get our word metamorphosis. It's that big of a change. This is the word that was used of Jesus. If you know the story of the transfiguration, where they go up the mountain and he was changed, it's metamorphosis. It is that big of a change. That's what's supposed to happen. And I want you to know, our mind is not the only thing that changes. Remember, what's our goal? Paul said, give your body to God. So to do that, we have to be transformed, all of us, not just the way I think, what I do with my life. Be transformed. Where does that start? It starts in the mind. And in Paul's way of thinking, the mind was not just his intellectual capabilities. I would call this by the renewing of like my worldview. The way I view the world, uh, the way I think, uh, like C.S. Lewis said something like, uh, like I believe Christianity is true, not because I see that it is true, but, but, but through it, I see everything else. Like it's my lens. Be changed. If I want to be a living sacrifice, I have to, yes, be different from the world, but I can't stop there. I have to let God change what I do with my life. And that starts with what I put in my brain and how I view the world. Here's why that's important. We can, we can convince ourselves we're doing Christianity simply because we're different from the world. Here's a list of things I don't do that the bad guys do. So I'm doing Christianity. Not so. Paul says step one is don't be shaped by the world. But step two, we have to let what I'm going to call in a minute the revealed word of God change who we are. Which means I come to church, I read my Bible regularly, but why? So I'm better at Bible quiz shows if I ever get called on one. They probably don't even have one. So I'm better at Bible trivia. No, so I know what to be. I know who I want to be and what I want my life to look like. Why? Because I'm going to hell if I don't do a good job of doing this stuff? No, because I want to be a living sacrifice. And so I read and I study the word with an eye toward transformation. Uh, in Sunday school, I usually pray beforehand, Lord, help us learn this, but help what we learn become not just part of our knowledge, but part of our character, part of who we are. That's why. And the more I do that, the more I decide I'm not going to be shaped by the world. I'm going to be shaped, transformed by what the scriptures tell me God wants me to be. The more and more I do that, the old hymn writer was right when she wrote, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What starts to happen, the more I desire more than anything else in this world, I want to be this living sacrifice. So I don't have to be different than the world. I got to be changed. I got to let God change my life. Shape me into what he wants me to be. The more I do that, the more 
The things of this world that used to shape me just don't hold water so much anymore. Like, I, I really maybe used to care like what people thought about my car or my clothes or my house or my you name it. Like, I, I don't care that much anymore. I'm being transformed. I don't care what people thought if I, if I wasn't at that party, if I didn't get invited to that, or what I do. How about this one, ladies? How about you're just a mom? How about this one, guys? Oh, and that's, like, that's all your job is? Right? I, I don't keep score on my life the way the world does. If I keep score on my life, first, I keep score on my life this way. I already won. I win. Game's over. Then, how am I doing at giving my life to God? Like, that's it. That's it. Can I do that as a mom? I mean, I can't do that as a mom, no, but can I do that? Um, can I do that as a, as a high school teacher? Can I do that as a gas station attendant? Can I do that while I'm still looking for a job? Can I do that as a single person? Can I do that as a married person? Can I do that as a parent? Can I do that as someone who hasn't been able to have kids? Can I give my life to Christ? Yes. Yes. That's how we do verse 1. You want to be a living sacrifice? Don't be conformed to this world. Be, allow God to change you by the renewing of your mind. Where does that get us? That's the rest of the verse. What Paul tells us in the rest of the verse is either the results of obeying those first two commands or... Um, well... We'll leave it at that. There's a couple different ideas, but it's not that important. So don't be conformed to this present world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Somebody remind me, what is it that we're actually trying to do as Christians? Romans 12, 1. Somebody say it out loud. What are we trying to do? I forget things. What is it? I want to be a living sacrifice that glorifies God. Right? I want to worship Him with my life. How do I do that? Don't be conformed. Be transformed. And if you do that well, you'll be able to test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. You'll be more likely to know what to do to give your life to God. That's what Paul says. You'll be able to test and prove what is the will of God. Now i got to Tap the brakes here a minute and talk about the will of God for just a sec. Because what is referred to as the will of God in the Bible, at least a couple of big things are called the will of God, and they're different things. Okay? And this is not me trying to explain away contradictions in the Bible. This is the way words work. Same word can mean different things. Right? I'll even do this with me. If I told you I was going to talk to you about my will, I could be talking to you about 
a legal document of what happens after I die with my property. Wouldn't that be my will? But I could be talking to you about what I desire, my will right now, and not be talking about that other thing, correct? Same word means different things. Like that's how language works. I don't know what to tell you. And so in the scriptures, in the Bible, the will of God is at least two different things. The will of God can be what I'm going to call, not that I made this up, but there's other words for this, the sovereign will of God or the decreed will of God, which is everything that winds up happening is somehow the will of God, right? It, God decreed it to happen. There has never been anything in all of history that happened that God was surprised by. You get that? Right? Um, I will leave, I'll leave our election out of this. But however, uh, is it Kim Jong-un? Is that the little guy that uh, runs North Korea? Was God shocked and appalled when Kim Jong-un, Kim whatever his name is, became Kim, when Kim became the, the dictator of North Korea? No. That's not, a, that's not saying that he's a good person or a Christian or anything like that. But it was obviously God's will. How do you know? Because it happened. There's nothing that happens that was not somehow a part of God's will. Make sense? That's not the only way the will of God is described in the scriptures. Because there's also something called like the revealed will of God, which sometimes that's what we call the Bible, or the perceptive will of God, which means something like this, everything God would prefer people do rather than not to, not do. And I think, and this does not always happen, this will of God. Um, and I think it's easier to show you this in the Bible than it is to further define that because it, it's hard for me to put into words. But check these out. I just found three passages that illustrate this well. First, Ephesians 4.15 says we are to speak the truth in love. So it is God's will for my life to speak the truth in love at all times. Right? Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. So is it God's will for your life that you give thanks no matter what you're going through? Is that God's will for your life? Yes. One more. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise as some men count slowness, but he's long-suffering to us or to usward, the King James actually says, not willing that any should perish, so not willing that any should perish, but willing that all should come to repentance. Is it God's will that every human being chooses God? Yes, it says it right there. Now, will these things always happen? Will I always speak the truth in love? Or will sometimes I speak like a jerk? Or something that's not even true. 
Yes. Is it God's will that I give thanks in all circumstances, even when it's me that gets the diagnosis? It's God's will that I do that. Will I always do it? No. Would God prefer that every single person choose Jesus? Sure. Will it happen? No. No. So here's why I... So do you see the difference? There are certain things, whatever happens, like God's not going to be shocked when I refuse to speak the truth in love. Somehow that's going to fit in his sovereign will, even though it is not his perceptive will, preferred will, whatever you want to call it. Here's why I point that out. When Paul tells us here, if you want to be a living sacrifice, and you're trying, you don't, you're not conformed to this world. You're, you're, tr- you're working to transform your life into what God wants it to be by the renewing of your mind. Paul's not saying so that you will know the sovereign will of God. So you'll know all of God's plans. That's impossible. You're not going to know what God's decrees are. We can prove that by looking up to the end of chapter 11 where where Paul climbed up and looked out just over a little bit of God's sovereign plans and he lost his mind. Do you remember that? He's like, who in the world can think of this stuff? God is so incredible. His thoughts, his plans, they're so much bigger than anything. This is why we have to just hang on to God and roll with him. Paul's not saying if you're a good Christian, you'll know like God's, what God is doing in all of his plans all the time. That's pure frontier gibberish. But he is saying, if you really desire to make your life a living sacrifice, you're not conformed to the world, you're letting him transform you by the renewing of your mind, you know what you will know? you will more likely know what God would prefer from you in those situations, whatever they wind up being. And I make a big deal out of this because just to be kind of brutally honest with us, a little family talk here this morning, we spend way too much time wringing our hands wondering about this and way too little time Focusing on this. We spend way too much time wringing our hands about, oh, oh, I wonder if one of my kids is going to get sick. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen at work? I may not have a job next week. Oh man, I don't know what this is going to happen. What's God going to do? Who's going to get elected? That's not our focus. I'm not saying I don't care about those things. I care deeply about those things. But what God cares about for us to care about is how we respond to what winds up being the sovereign will of God. Because the truth is, we can be a living sacrifice. Whether that doctor comes in and says, your cancer's gone, or whether that doctor comes in and says, your cancer's back. And when Paul says, 
If you're a living sacrifice, you're not conf- you're, you don't make your decisions like the rest of the world does. You don't see the world the re- like the, you don't see things the way the rest of the world was. Everything is an opportunity. How can I glorify you, God? You've made me different. I, I, I am not going to respond right now the way I would have six months ago or six years ago. And when whatever your will is happens, this is still your life. This is still. This body's not my own. Show me, lead me into what is good and well-pleasing and perfect in your sight. That's how you live like a Christian. That's how we live like Christians. Now, are there times where you'll find yourself in a situation that's so difficult that it, it's hard to tell? God, given what's going on right now, this is such a mess. I don't even, yes, life is still hard. Life is still hard. But God will show you how you can go down door A, go, down, go through door B way that glorifies him. I can be a living sacrifice in either direction. That's what the will of God is for my life. Give thanks in all circumstances. Glorify him. Be a living sacrifice. Speak the truth with love. In all those situations where I can't tell what the, what the sovereign will of God is, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I can control whether I glorify him in that situation, circumstance, whatever. Here's the Christian life. And again, if God, we're about to jump in from here. We're about to get into a lots of behavioral commands. Avoid sexual immorality. Avoid drunkenness. Don't return evil for evil. Lots and lots of things. But if, if we, we cannot try to do Romans 12 through 15 for God, if he has not done Romans 1 through 11 for us. Okay? If we try to do the behavioral commands that come next without being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in it. First, it's just so much legalism. We, it's empty. But if you trust Christ, here's, Christian, here's Christianity 101, 201, and infinity 01. This is the whole thing. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice that's acceptable to God. This is your spiritual or logical service of worship. How do I do that? First, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What will happen then? You will prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, and that which is perfect. Guess who our greatest example of that might be? 
I want to transition with you. We're not going to pray. We're not going to sing. We're just going to go right into a time of communion. I saved communion for this passage. Because at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus found himself in a really difficult decision. One of these things that were... Some voice in his head had to be saying, like, can this really be what God wants? Like, can this really be what God wants for me? And so after the Last Supper, um, he took his disciples out through a vineyard and, and talked to him for a while. Then he asked him to come with me to a place called Gethsemane, the, the oil press. And Matthew 26, and Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray over there. Boys, will you pray for me? And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to his friends, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Help me, boys. I'm struggling here. And he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This thing that you've set on the table in front of me, I do not want to drink. Let there be another way. Not as I will, but as you will. A few verses later, again, a second time he went away and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Why was Jesus able to go to the cross? Like, I don't mean from sort of the macro level because it was the overarching sovereign will of God. What did Jesus do in his life that allowed him to do the most difficult thing any of us could ever imagine? Here's what he did. He wanted to present his body, a living and holy sacrifice that would become a dead sacrifice. Acceptable to God. That was his. That was the most logical thing he could do. Because it was what the sovereign father wanted. How was he able to pull that off? Was Jesus like the rest of the world? No. His disciples didn't want him to go to the cross. His enemies just wanted him to start doing tricks, right? Show them that he could take the throne and kick out the Romans. Satan offered him the, the throne of the whole world. He refused to be conformed to the world. He was different. He was transformed. His mind, his, his worldview was different and that allowed him to prove what the will of God was. That which was good and acceptable and perfect even if it was his own life poured out on a cross for people who didn't deserve a minute of it.
This is Christianity 101, 201, and the 900 level also. Because it's not just the results of believing in Jesus, it's following his example. And so while we gather around the table, we're doing a couple of things this morning. We're remembering the one who became the sacrifice while we grow in ourselves a desire to be a sacrifice. Pray with me while the guys come forward to help me pat this out. Father God, we gather this morning people who are unfaithful, people who sin, people who blow it, people who are unworthy to be called your children, but for those of us who share this meal, you told us you have made us righteous. You have made us holy and pleasing in your sight. And as the bread comes around, we just want to remember what you did, the price you paid to make us holy and pleasing to you. You gave your son to swallow the punishment we deserved. So as we sit and contemplate for a few minutes while the music plays and the bread comes around, just commune with us, Lord, as we talk to you in our hearts, remembering what Jesus did on our behalf. Amen. coming, knowing what he was headed for. Jesus took bread that was on the table. He broke it. He gave it peace to each one of his disciples so that he could say this, this is my body broken for you. Do you believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he went there for you? under the punishment your sins deserve. If you believe that, he said, as often as you do this, remember me. So do this in remembrance of him. Now, Symbolically, we've, it's like we've accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. It's what communion is for. Do you want to be, do you want your life to be a, a sacrifice offered back to him? How have you blown that? Part of the world do you tend to conform to? 
How do you resist the transformation he wants for your life? Before we go any further, I'm just going to ask Stephanie to play. I'm just going to give you some time to, to bow your head and talk to your Lord. You accepted his sacrifice. Talk to him about how you have kept your own life from being a sacrifice toward him. sacrifice to God. Talk to him about that. even though you knew the sins we would sin, how we would resist your revealed will somehow inside of your sovereign will. We've confessed our sin. We've expressed a desire to be so many living sacrifices. We're going to have to be different from the world. We're going to have to be transformed by you through the renewing of our minds. And you have given us to one another to encourage one another to help pull that off. And we know none of that is possible without the blood of Jesus. So as we pass out little cups of the symbol of your blood, God, thank you that the covenant that we are in, we're our salvation is not dependent upon our ability to do even what we desire. Our salvation was sealed by the blood you desired to shed on our behalf. But God, make us more like Jesus. And commune with us while the cups come around in his name. Amen. listen to that song what I planned to say got wiped out because the only thing I could hear over and over again is it was my sin that held him there but only until it was accomplished he became a sacrifice we needed to be acceptable to God 
the most logical thing in the world to do now is to give this life he gave me back to him that he bought with the blood of Christ symbolized by these cups. Do this in remembrance of him. Thanks for being here this morning by way of dismissal. Why don't you stand up with me? Let's read Romans 12, 1 and 2 together just out loud on the screen. Ready? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. See you next week. Love you guys.